0: All right, we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 8 today. Romans chapter 8, the message I call not worthy to be compared. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. Not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans chapter 8 is a chapter of incredible truth. It begins with no condemnation. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And then it ends with no separation. Verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come neither height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And between those two bookends are packed some incredible, incredible truth, including the one that is before us today, that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The fact that we have no condemnation from God and have no separation from God are two essential truths for living life as God's people. If we believe in God at all, and we do, then the idea that we are not facing His condemnation or wrath anymore because we have believed on Jesus Christ is essential. If you believe in God, you want to be at peace with God. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 says that therefore being justified by faith, Galatians 5, 1, that's Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If there is a God, and there is... I don't want to live a day without knowing that I'm at peace with Him. Right. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And the second truth is also essential. There is no separation. You see, when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are then placed into Christ spiritually and Christ then takes up residence in us so that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We call that the doctrine of union with Christ. And the fact is, when you were saved and I was saved, an inseparable union was created between us and Jesus Christ. Nothing, I mean nothing, can take us out of him once we have been put in him. We are in Christ. Nothing can separate us from him. Nothing can take him out of us. There is no separation. The Bible tells us then that neither life nor death or death nor life. And that's a good thing to know. Nothing death can bring is going to separate us from Jesus Christ. And nothing life can bring to us is going to separate us from Jesus Christ. I, uh, I like a story that Paul Harvey told uh, many years ago. It was about a lady who was cleaning her windows with her vacuum cleaner, and uh, there was a parakeet cage. She had a little pet parakeet, and just on a whim, she decided that she would vacuum out the cage of her parakeet. So she stuck the vacuum cleaner holes in there, and you guessed it, and a little parakeet disappeared. Well, the woman was uh, just horrified. She immediately uh, uh, unhooked her vacuum cleaner, tore open the paper bag, spilled the contents, of course, all over the floor. And if you don't know about a vacuum cleaner that has a paper bag, that's not my fault. You're just too young. (laughs) Tore open the paper bag. Sure enough, there was a little bird all covered in dirt and all the other stuff. So she rushed in then to the kitchen and stuck him under the fountain and washed him down real good, got him all clean. She had him laying there in a little hand, and the little bird was just a trembling. So she said, Well he's cold. So she took him into the bathroom then and blowed him down with her hairdryer. <laughs> she was telling that story to her friend. The friend asked her, Well, is the little bird okay? And, and she said, Yeah, but he doesn't sing much anymore. I, the reason why I identify with that so well, folk, today is because that happens to me sometimes. I mean, there I am just minding my own business, a happy little bird, and all of a sudden, foof, something just out of nowhere. And there I am. I'm, I'm powerless. nothing. I had no control over it. And then I go from that, and then something else is happening, and something else is happening. I end up just sitting there kind of with a stunned look on my face saying, how did this happen? Life does that to you sometimes. Amen. Amen. How did this happen? Where did it come from? How did I get here? Where is this? All? Well, neither death nor life. Let me tell you something today. Nothing life will ever throw at you and I as believers in Christ. is something we're going to have to go through alone. Because Jesus Christ will be with us. Life cannot separate us from Jesus Christ. We are still in him. He is still in us. And we need to know this we need to keep it in our mind at all times. In our portion of this great text today, in Romans chapter 8, we'll notice that the the Apostle Paul links together in the same sentence two great truths. One of them is that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And the second one is, is that we are going to suffer with Christ. Heirs with Christ, suffer with Christ. Just in case you missed that a moment ago when I read it, let me put it up here and read it to you again. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with Him. See, the truth that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords is indisputable. The truth that He as King of kings suffered is also indisputable. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ so that we join in his rule and reign. But like him, we too are going to experience his sufferings. It's not even the only passage in the New Testament where Paul linked these two together. How about this one? Philippians 1:29. For to you it has been granted, some translations have it trusted. You have been entrusted with this on behalf of Christ. Not only to believe in him, but notice, do you believe in Jesus? Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for His sake. Are you a believer? Yes. You're going to suffer for His sake, too. Some years ago, I attended a funeral, and as we passed by the casket, I was somewhat surprised to see a copy of Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now, Seven Steps to Living at Your Full Potential. Now, I have to confess, I have never read that book. I don't plan to read it. And, and the reason is that I fundamentally disagree with the premise You can give me seven steps, you can give me 700 steps, 7,000 steps, 700,000 steps, and we're still not going to be living our best life now. Because the Bible says that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Give us 700,000 steps. Give us 7,000 years. And we still won't be able to live our best life now. The best is yet to come. And yet this passage tells us that while that is true, there is glory to come, there is also suffering that is a reality. When Paul speaks of this suffering, he'll do so under two headings. And it's important. Because listen, when bad things begin to happen to us as God's people, our first question is usually, why is God mad at me? We'll say, what have I done wrong? What has happened? Why am I being treated this way? How could such a thing happen to me? And that's especially so when we've lived for God and we've tried to do right, and we go to church and we, and we serve Him and we pray and then something bad happens. Why does this happen? That's usually our first inclination. But if we get it in our minds that Jesus Christ has told us, Paul the apostle said it once but twice, Jesus told us that in the world you shall have tribulation. Paul says that it has been granted to us not only to believe on him, but also to suffer. We'll be heirs with Christ, but we're also going to suffer with Christ. And if we get that down in our minds... I believe it'll help us. The suffering, the two headings under which suffering is described are plainly identified in the text. Number one, first of all, he says we're going to groan along with the creation. And he does that as he goes on in his discussion in chapter 22. The sufferings, remember he said, of this present time. And he goes on to describe it. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also know uh, we also who had the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. And Paul then is talking about our suffering in this present time and how that we suffer along with the creation as believers in Christ. That the whole creation is under the power of the fall. The whole creation then is groaning under the effect of sin. And we too as God's people then are groaning, suffering right along with the creation. Pandemics happen. Disease comes. We get old and it brings its own share of groaning. We have difficulties. When we're teenagers we're groaning because we're growing. We get growing pains. And they never really go away. That's just part of life. It's part of living as a fallen creature in a fallen world. And even though we are believers in Christ, we still suffer along with the creation. That's Romans 8. So in the present time, he says, we're going to suffer. But not only do we suffer with the creation, but we suffer with Christ. Did Christ suffer? Oh, yes, He did. Why did he suffer? Because he was bad? No. The Bible says he went about doing good. Jesus helped people, healed people. And yet in spite of the fact that he helped people and healed people and preached the truth to people, Jesus was hated. Hated. And in fact, he tells us that when they hate you, not if, but when they hate you, you know that they hated me first. You'd think that after all this time, the world might have changed its mind about Jesus. But I want you to know that the world has not changed its mind about Jesus Christ one iota, not one bit. The world system, the evil world system that stands in opposition to Jesus Christ today stood in opposition to him then. The same evil system and the rejection and the hatred of men that nailed him to the cross today would do it again today if they could. They hated him then, they hated him now. And centuries of Christians and churches doing good things in this world has not changed the world's opinion. It doesn't matter how much philanthropy we do. It doesn't matter how many houses we build, how many hospitals we build, how many colleges that we found and fund. It doesn't matter how much good we do in the world. The name of Jesus Christ is still hated today every bit as much as it ever was. The only difference between now and then is that there's a whole lot more people to hate him than there have ever been before. And they're all on Facebook. (laughs) All on social media. What that means to us in a practical way, folks, is don't be surprised. Not only do we suffer with the creation, it's right here in Romans chapter 8 I showed it to you. We suffer with the creation But we also suffer with Christ because the world has not changed its opinion on Jesus Christ at all. Not at all. But in the midst of this suffering, we need to understand this passage is given to us as hope, as a source of hope to remind us of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Because you see, we we know our suffering all too well. What we don't know yet is the glory that is to come. And we haven't even got a good glimpse of it yet. We might think we have an idea when we picture it in our mind. Our mind cannot fathom the glory that is to come when we go to heaven and we are with God and with his people for all of eternity and a new heaven and a new earth. It does not yet appear to us what we shall be. We don't have any clue of how glorious it's going to be. This is a a true statement then, Romans 8, 18. Suffering is real. But it is also a true statement. There is glory to come. This is the incredible hope that there is available to the people of God. The Bible describes that as being like an anchor of the soul. And the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that it has been planted behind the veil. And that is in heaven itself in the very presence of God. We have an anchor, the anchor of the soul. And every now and then, you and I need to reach down and grab that anchor chain and and just give it a good tug. I want you to know that that anchor is as solid today as it has ever been. The anchor still holds. It is planted in the very presence of God in heaven. This is a hope that God has given us for the soul. And we need that hope every day because there are so many things that if we're not careful, are going to make us feel hopeless and helpless. But we need to know Our hope is secure in Jesus Christ. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. The sail may be tattered. The hull might be battered. But the anchor still holds. The anchor holds. It is our hope that is available to us in Jesus Christ. And Paul is going to go on in this passage then to give us three great reasons why our hope is solid and steadfast. I'm not going to keep you long. We're almost done. The first reason that our hope is solid and steadfast is because of the glory that's before us. And that's right there in our text. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You all believe in heaven. Amen. You all believe in it. You all believe there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. You believe in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ because we all shouted ourselves nearly hoarse a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching about it. Well, uh, as shouting as bad to shout these days. We were shouting on the inside. It was hard to hold it back. Uh, y'all did, but it was hard. <clears throat> I mean, yes, we believe in the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. yes. Uh, We believe there's heaven to gain at, at the end of this life. Yes, we believe that we're going to come back with Jesus Christ and his people. Yes, we believe we're going to live and reign with him for a thousand years. Yes, we believe that there's a new heaven and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. And we look for that city that has foundations. That's as wide as it is tall or tall as it is wide. Four square. Look at it at the end of Revelation. You'll see it. Folk, there is glory before us. And the suffering then of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come. So why do we have a steadfast hope? Because there's glory before us. But then secondly, we have a steadfast hope because of the grace that is within us. Look at it. Likewise, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart, whose heart? Our hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You see, the grace that is in us is there because the Spirit of God is in us. Nothing ever goes on in your heart that he doesn't know about. Happy, glad, sad, or mad, the Holy Spirit's right there with you. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. You're grieved today, he knows it. You're troubled today, he feels it. How arrogant would it be of us to honestly stand before Almighty God and say that we actually know what is best for us? Ever think about that? Well, Lord, I figured this whole thing out and I know I need this, 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 and this. Just give me a list and tell him all about it. Do we really think that we know what we need? Yes, we do. Do we really know what we need? Not according to Romans chapter 8 because it says very plainly, we don't know what we should pray for as we should. We can pray with all the sincerity of our heart, but thank God the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. All we can see is the here and now, folk. All we can see is the temporary, what the Bible calls the temporal. All we can see is what's right before us, moment by moment, day by day. We think we've got it all figured out. All we can pray about is what we see and know. But aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us? He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in my heart. He knows what's going on in your life, just like He knows what's going on in my life. But the Holy Spirit is not always just looking at the outer. and the moment and the day. The Holy Spirit is always thinking of eternity. And he's always moving in the light of the eternal. So while we pray, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is making intercession for us. And I know a lot of our prayers have to make him groan. He's interceding with groanings which cannot be uttered. How many times I wondered the Holy Spirit heard some of my prayers and said "Mm, mm, mm, mm," with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God and he knows the heart of people and he brings those things together in God's grace. We don't know what to do. We don't even know what to pray for right now. But aren't you glad the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you and He knows what to do? Why do we have hope? We have hope then for the glory that is ahead of us, for the grace that is within us because the Spirit of God lives in us. And We have hope then because God is for us. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, part of us wants to think about all this other stuff that he's just said, all about that suffering with Christ and how that we were going to suffer along with him. We think, well, you know, a lot of people are going to be against us, yeah? <laughs> Did y'all ever play tug-of-war? Anybody nod your head play tug of war? I always like tug-of-war. Tug of war is the only game where you always pick out the heavyset folks first. You ever notice that? If you're going to win in tug of war you need some, some big uh, healthy uh, big bone people on your side I like tug of war I want you to picture a big tug of war game and here's all these people on one side I mean put a hundred over there put ten thousand over there you want to get really get you a real long row. put you ten million on that side here you are on the other side but God's on your team Who's going to (laughs) win? If God be for us. Listen, God's on our side. You understand? We're God's people. We are on the side of God. That's what's the most important. Not that God's on our side, but we're on His. We're on God's side. God is for us. That's the reason for our hope. There is glory ahead of us. There is grace within us. And God is for us. These are troubling times for us all. And they're probably going to get worse before they get better. I'm not pessimistic. I'm not here to tell you that. I'm I'm, I'm just going to tell you. We've got an anchor. It's anchored in glory. It is the anchor of our hope. It is immutable. That is, it is unchangeable. It is unshakable. It is there. Grab, the, grab that uh, anchor chain today. Shake it. It's taut as it can be. It's solid. We have a hope that keeps the soul because of the glory that is ahead of us, because of the grace that is within us, and because of the God who is for us. Let's stand together, please.